Um, I am Deb, like I said, and I was going to tell you my name because, you know, we're teaching this message, what's in a name. So I thought I'd start out with saying what's in my name. So my name is Deb. Deborah is actually my real official name. D-E-B-O-R-A-H, not spelled like D-E-B-R-A. It is Deborah, and I really like my name. And I didn't really even appreciate my name until I began reading the Bible. And then I realized that I had this awesome namesake who was a prophetess and also the fourth judge of Israel. So I thought, what amazing background, something that I could hold on to. I really like that. Well, over the years, I would look up the meaning of my name. I'm sure you guys have too. You guys have probably looked up the meaning of your name. What did it say about your name? What stands behind it? Well, mine I've looked up before, and it says it's bee, like a bee that buzzes around. Queen bee. But in biblical Hebrew, it actually means bringer of peace. Now, I don't know if my husband always agree with that. He may not, but I do really like that. Um, that's when I really appreciated the name. You know, I've been called Deb, Debbie, Deborah. My dad actually always said, your name is not Deborah, it's Deborah, which I always joked and said, I should live in Decorah. I'd be Deborah from Decorah. That'd be kind of fun. But anyway, not too long ago, I went into a restaurant and I placed my order and the guy says, what's your name? And I said, Debbie. He goes, you look like a Debbie. And I thought, I don't know how to take that. That could be a million ways that you could take that. You look like a Debbie. I would say it's probably an era thing because, you know, there's, there's names that come in certain eras. And actually around like 1954, I think through like, really I was on the end of it because I was born, I'm not that old, um, 65. And uh, I actually was named Debbie like that. So um, actually the reason why I got named Deborah was because of a sister um, that passed away when she was 18. Her name was Cindy. She actually had heard what my mom wanted to name me, and she met somebody that was up by Chicago, a friend, and she said, no, no, you should name her Deborah instead. My mom had intended on naming me Mary Frances, <laughs> to which I always say I would have had to become Catholic. It sounds like such a Catholic name, doesn't it? Mary Frances. I would have had to be Catholic. But anyway, I'm really happy now that my name is Deborah. But you know, our names have an interesting way of kind of going out before us. When you hear someone's name, you hear it, and you already get kind of a little preconceived notion of what a person's going to be like. If you don't believe that, I'm going to go through a few with you, and you're going to kind of see what I'm going with this. So, the name Sheldon just sounds kind of nerdy and smart, doesn't he? Sheldon. I mean, don't expect somebody that's a hippie being named Sheldon. I just don't. Arthur sounds like a very intelligent name, smart name. Mitzi. She's ditzy. She's just ditzy. It sounds like Mitzi's going to be ditzy. Bertha, sturdy. Sturdy woman. Very sturdy. You're not pushing that woman down. She's going to take you down. So Bertha sounds very, just like Helga. I mean, Bertha, Helga, those are sturdy names. It doesn't, you know, you wouldn't expect somebody like a lot of times, you know, Tiffany, it sounds like a girlish name. These names actually go out before us. So we have these names, and and we have these preconceived notions when we hear these names. And it's no different in the way that we actually think about God also. And that's kind of what I want to go with this today. The idea that God actually uses certain names in the Bible that kind of explain his nature, explain his personality, explain the fact of how much love and compassion and and personality that there is in our God. Now, we have this idea, if you don't know God, if you've never really gotten to read about God's word, if you've never read the Bible, or if you really never got in a relationship with Jesus where it's personal, 
You might have an idea of when you hear the word God that he's just a distant old man that lives in the clouds. You know, that he's very uninvolved in our life. That maybe you look at him and think he can't see well, he's old. He can't hear well because he's old. And we think that he's not involved at all in our personal life. And that is not the God that really exists. We begin to read the Bible and we start to see this God who uses these certain names to describe himself. And it actually shows us how amazingly caring and involved in our personal lives he is. Well, God always intended for us to know him in a personal, intimate way. He never intended us for us to live this separate way of living away from him. He intended us to have this personal relationship with him. That's why he started with Adam and Eve. And when Adam and Eve were in there in the Garden of Gethsemane, what they would do, they would, they would sit up there together. They would walk and, you know, they would visit and, you know, they would have all these times. They would spend time in each other's presence and they would, you know, just show, like, each other's expressions and they would see that God would talk to them and they hear the tone of his voice and they would see his eyes light up and they would see the passion in him and they would be able to smell him and feel him and walk hand in hand with him. Unfortunately, Adam and Eve sinned and they got sent away. When that happened, God has forever tried to bring us back into that same relationship. He's always tried to woo us back He's always tried to say, no, no, I care more about you than this. I don't want you to walk alone. I want to walk hand in hand with you. He wants us to be able to witness up close and personal the God that he is. And he does that so much through his word. And that's why his word is really important for us to read. And we're always telling you, read the Bible, read the Bible. And I know you guys probably like, yeah, I know, read the Bible. You tell us this every week. But I can tell you that's when you're going to learn really the attributes of God. You're going to understand the... The love, the compassion, the justice, everything about God you're going to learn through his word. He shows us the power that he has, the authority, the provision, the passion. You know, the Bible is a manual in which we're supposed to live, but it's also really, truly a love letter. It really shows us how much he cares about us. Well, there is a word in the Bible, and it's spelled... This is really weird. The word is spelled. I can't even pronounce it because then I'll tell you why. It's spelled Y-H-V-H. And it's a Hebrew word. And it actually means Lord. Now, in the English language, it's Lord. And it's also built upon the whole word I am. Now, in, in Hebrew, it's really almost unpronounceable. They don't even know exactly how you pronounce this word, Y-H-V-H. And that is because the Israelites actually quit saying it out loud about 200 A.D. They quit saying it because of Exodus 27 where it says the commandments, it says, do not take the name of Y-H-V-H, the Lord, your God, in vain. It says, don't take it in vain. So don't say it lightly, don't say it just flippantly. So these people quit saying it, they quit pronouncing it. So people don't know exactly what it actually says. People have interpreted to say Yahweh. Other people have pronounced it Jehovah. So it's pronounced two different ways. So this Y-H-V-H is really kind of an unspoken word, but it actually does mean Yahweh, which means the great I am, or Jehovah, which means the great I am. Well, Yahweh is actually in the Old Testament about 6,823 times. So, 
It's actually a personal name that God gave to Israel when he made a covenant with them. When he said, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to take you out of slavery. In Exodus 3.14, it says, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Yahweh is I am. It builds off the idea that God is who he said he is. God always existed. There was never a time where God did not exist. He will be from the beginning to the end, the alpha, the omega. He is there forever in a day. Nothing's ever existed before God. Nothing. There was nothingness. The Bible says there was nothing until God created it and put it into place. Everything depends upon God. If God wants something there, it's there. If he doesn't want it there, it's gone. God is God. You know, the thing is, what a lot of times we don't understand is that that really, that holiness, that power, that authority. You know, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's word says that we can trust him. We can trust him that he's always going to be who we said he was, that he's never going to change. His, his personality, you know, there's people that have personality disorders. Sometimes you go around and they act one way and then they act another. Sometimes they say they love you, sometimes they don't. And there's all this. God is not like that. He's not bipolar. He doesn't have issues. He doesn't have struggles. He is who he says he is. That's why we can trust his word that what his, it says, it's truth. He is who he is. He is the great I am. And he deserves way more praise than what we give him. And he exists throughout the Bible. It starts out as Yahweh, but it continues on through Yeshua, Jesus. Now, the Lord reveals himself, like I said, in the Old Testament as Yahweh, Jehovah. But then it goes to Yeshua, which is Jesus in the New Testament. Jesus shares those exact same attributes as Yahweh. And he actually claims to be him later. It says when he's in John 8, 53 through 58, it says, when the people asked Jesus, are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Jesus answered, if I want glory for myself, it doesn't count. But it's my father who will glorify me. You say he is our God, but you don't even know him. I know him. If I said otherwise, I would be as great of a liar as you. But I do know him and obey him. Your father Abraham rejoiced as he looked forward to my coming. He saw it and was glad. The people said, you aren't even 50 years old. How can you say that you have seen Abraham? And Jesus answered, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was even born, I am. I am. Not I was. See, God's always in the, person, the present time. It's never like he was the God of the past. He's the God of today. He's the God of tomorrow. He's always present with us. He doesn't change. The same God that did the be- everything in the beginning is the same God who exists today. He hasn't changed his mind. Everything that happened is supposed to happen will happen. He always was. He always will be the great I am. But because of Adam and Eve, because of their sin, they no longer got the chance to see God, feel God, smell God, watch his eyes light up, hold his hand. They... they lost all that. And ever since that time, God's done everything he can to pull us back into that relationship again. He does everything he can, so he sent his son to do that now. The Bible calls um, Yahweh Jehovah. 
he also says, I am the Jehovah Jireh. I'm going to actually use the, the term probably Jehovah more so than Yahweh. But one of the things the Bible actually says about Jehovah, he actually gives other subnames. Was basically saying God of something. So what I want to talk to you a little bit about the one attribute of God is the idea that he is Jehovah Jireh. Now that actually means that God is our provider. Now years ago when we were building our porch, there was a cement porch out in our front yard that I actually, when I heard this and I read God's word, I thought, yeah, he is my provider. And I, we wrote in cement outside, it says, Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Because God has provided for John and I and my kids all these years, there's times where it's been so scary, you don't know what's going to happen, and God comes through in ways that you can't imagine. But we need to understand that God is our provider. In Genesis 22, God commanded Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac on the altar. However, when that time came, and Isaac went, you know, Isaac carried the wood up to the mountain himself. The wood that was going to burn him up. And they trusted the fact that God would provide. Abraham says, we can trust. God will provide for us. And so he carries this wood, and then what happens is God provides a ram that's caught in the thicket, and they use the ram instead as a sacrifice. You know, the exact same thing happens later in the Bible through Jesus. Mount Moriah the same mountain that Jesus goes to when he dies on the cross. He carries his own wood on his back, the cross, and he goes and he willingly sacrifices himself for our sins. We have an amazing God. The Bible is an amazing life story of all these people from start to finish. Nobody, I don't care how many people say it's contradictory, it is not contradictory. If you read it, the reason why it's contradictory is because you're not seeing what you're really supposed to be seeing. From the very beginning, we have God who tried to save us. It literally is Jesus at the beginning, Jesus to the end. It's Alpha Omega, beginning and end. Always, God wants us close to him. Jesus was the Lamb of God. Look at what John the Baptist said. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The sacrifice for us that we can put on us as a covering because we're sinful beings. We basically were sent out of that garden, that beautiful promise to be able to walk with God. We were sent away from that. And God forever says, how can I bring you back, your sinful beings? So he figured out how. I send Jesus. Jesus, you ask for forgiveness through him, and he covers you. And someday you get to go again with God in heaven and walk hand in hand and see him face to face. We need to understand that God is going to provide for us like he did at the very beginning for our salvation. He's going to provide for us in our daily lives also. The disciples worried and struggled. They were thinking, you know, here I am. I'm leaving my whole life. I'm leaving everything. How are my family going to eat? And what are they going to wear? What are they going to drink? And Jesus actually says to quit worrying. He says in Matthew 6, stop worrying. God knows what you need. He says, if God provides for the birds of the year, how much more will he provide for you? If you follow after him, we don't have to worry that God's going to provide for us. He will. His word promises it, and we believe it. Because he is the great I am. He is our provider. He is our Jehovah Jireh. 
We need to keep our eyes on Jehovah Jireh, the great I am, so that he'll provide for us. Even when the times become bleak, even when we doubt and we struggle, we get up every day and we say, today, God, I know you will provide for me. You'll provide for me because I love you and I seek you. And your promise is that you will do these things for me. The other thing that God is, is he is our banner. Our banner, what that means is the fact that he is basically the flag that goes before us when we go fight in battle. See, the thing is, we have lots of things that come against us. The Bible says is we're going to have trials, we're going to have struggles in this world. But the Bible says that God will be, go before us if we trust him to do it. See, we always try to go ahead and jump ahead of God, and we're going to take care of matters ourselves. And he says, no, no, let me go first. Let me go first. And we do that through prayer. We, go, we do that for the idea of saying that God is our banner, that he will go first. He is our Jehovah, Rapha. When Moses was fighting against the Amalekites, he built an altar to Jehovah. And he says, the Lord is my banner. It says it in Exodus 15, or 17, 15. When armies go out and fight, look at when you look at the old war things that you would see, the, the battle would be that the, the flag would go out first. They would send out the, a lot of times, musical instruments and also the flag of the country that's going to fight first. The same thing God wants us to do. Let him be our banner. We have to be strong. Isaiah 40, 31, it says, But those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. God is our banner. He tells us that he is our banner. Also, there's a time where he is our healer. Now, a lot of people walk around and they're going through sickness. And a lot of times the reason why they have sickness is because they don't really trust in God and they don't ask for God's healing. And there was a situation where the Israelites were walking through this area and they came upon this water that was bitter. There was nothing there that they could drink. They had nothing to provide water for them. So what they did was they, they were saying, what, what do we do? And Moses said, what, what you need to do is you need to take... God told Moses, you need to take a stick and you need to throw it into the water. And the water became clear. They could drink it again. And after this happened, God told Israel, he says in Exodus 15, 26, he says, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then it will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. God also still heals each one of us. A lot of times we just don't really ask. What, what happens is we continue to keep feeling the things that we feel. We don't trust in him a lot of times. Or maybe we, we do for a minute. We say, God, heal me. But then we go back and we try to get better on our own. And God says, no, trust in me that I can heal you, that I can do these things. That God, Yahweh, who comes as Yeshua, what did he do? When he came to the earth, all he did was walk around healing people. He healed the blind. He healed the lame. He healed the sick. He, he healed the brokenhearted. He's in the healing business. It actually says that we need to remember this. And we have this problem. A lot of times we don't go to God for the healing that he wants to give us. James five fourteen and 15 says, Are any of you sick? 
You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Now I can tell you, this is one of the things that I really have a broken heart over. There's honestly very few of you people that come to the altar and ask for prayer. This is where you're going to get prayer. You're going to have somebody pray over you. You're going through battles. You're going through struggles. You're going through things that you need in your life. And you keep trying to shoulder it on your own. And God says, you never were supposed to shoulder it on your own. You're always supposed to rely on him. He doesn't want a stiff-necked people. He wants somebody who's going to be submissive to him, who's actually going to trust in him. So when there's an opportunity that you need something in your life, you need to come to your pastors, you need to come to your elders, and you need to say, I need you to pray for me. I'm struggling right now. I don't see my way out of this situation. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to fight this this battle that I'm in right now that I can't even see how to get out of. I don't know how I'm going to get better. And he says, just come to me. Ask for prayer. People will pray for you. And he says, I will heal you. Now, we know not everybody gets healed. Not everybody has it happen. But wouldn't you want to follow God when he tells you that you have an opportunity for healing? Maybe you never knew that until today. Maybe you've never read in the Bible all the different experiences that people had where they literally were paralyzed their whole entire life and they got up and they could walk. People who were blind never saw And Jesus healed them. That same Jesus who walked among people, he lives through the Holy Spirit, and he says, I'm still here to do these things for you today. Don't walk out of here if you're going through something. Don't walk out without asking someone for prayer. He is so many more things than I could possibly cover in this small message. I mean, if you go through, you see, like I said, the the Alpha and Omega, the Father. He is so many things. These words, Jehovah, Jireh, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha. The next is Jehovah Shalom, which is the God of peace. Now I can tell you, so many people that claim to be followers of God have no peace. You can just sense it inside them. There's nothing inside them that feels this calmness. Now we all have moments of anxiety. We're all going to struggle from time to time. But I can tell you there's something different. When you ask God for peace, he does this amazing thing inside of us. There's just something that he stills. He calms down. This this feeling is like he's got this. I don't have to worry all the time. Now, I struggle with worry. I always, always was a worrier. And I think it was part of the fact of just how I was raised, never knowing where I was going to be. You know, I didn't, you know, have a mom growing up, and my dad was an alcoholic. And for a while there, we lived with sisters and brothers who were too young to take care of a 7- and 8-year-old. There was a lot of worry growing up, a lot of worry about, like, if I could make it, a lot of worry of whether or not my life would be successful, if I could survive the craziness. And, you know, sometimes I still struggle with that worry, but I can tell you it's a lot different after knowing Christ. It's a lot different. It's this idea of thinking, yeah, I can have a moment of worry, but there's this deep down feeling to think that God will not let me fall apart. 
He won't as long as I keep him first. Well, Gideon is actually the one who built an altar to call on God as Jehovah Shalom. After he saw the angel of the Lord face to face and he was told he would not die. Because God's word says, if you see God face to face, you will die. Peace is this amazing gift from God. Peace means that we don't have to fear death anymore. We have this assurance that we have a promise. No doubt about it. Someone could come, could take our bodies, but they cannot take our souls. Our souls will live forever with God in eternity. We will walk hand in hand with our Savior. We'll walk hand in hand. We'll see his face. We'll feel the compassion. We'll feel the joy. We'll see love like we've never seen before. Romans 5.1 says, Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. That's joy. That's undeniable. It's unspeakable. You can hardly even like put words into the idea of what God has done for us. The fact that he's taken a sinner, of which I am the worst, and given me an opportunity to still walk hand in hand with him. Peace from the fear of death. I lived in fear of death as a kid. It wasn't something that it's never going to happen to me. It was, it will, it can, it does. I lost a sister when I was five, a mom at seven. Later, my stepmom, who I really did care about and loved, she passed away. Death was always around us. I had such fear when I was growing up, that I literally thought I had to have something planned every single weekend or I thought I was going to die. This is an 8, 9, 10-year-old. Every time I got into a car, I was so fearful, thinking every time I got in a car, I was going to die. I had kids. I thought I would be through this fear. I'm telling you, it just compounded it. You know if your parents, every little cough, how bad is it going to be? Are they going to die? I mean, it's just fear. I had fear of where I was going to go. I had a brother that actually was a believer, and he told me, Dad, if your kids were to die, they would go to heaven. But you wouldn't. You would go to hell. It sounds so harsh, but it was the truth I needed to hear. And I remember being in a drive through at the bank at that moment, putting the deposit in the, in the depository and thinking, I don't want to die and go to hell. I don't want that. I want to be with my kids someday. And so I struggled with fear. I thought, for sure, I'm going to die. I told you before, if you've been here, I went through depression. I was convinced I was dying. All of a sudden, I started going through this anxiety, this depression. I'd never been that way. I was 28. I had my midlife crisis at 28. It was a horrible thing. Cameron's birthday is March 3rd, February 28th. I went and bought every birthday gift I could get for him because I thought I'm going to be gone. Then I thought, well, because I'm not going to be here, I better get my daughter's birthday gifts. Her birthday's April 14th. So I went and bought all their birthday gifts. And God knew and was watching. And I went home, and my brother, who had never really called and talked to me much, I walked in the door and I said, did Jimmy call me? And the kid said, yes. And I called him up and I said, did you need something? He goes, no, I just was going to see how you're doing, which was really rare. And I said, what are you doing tonight? He says, I'm going to church. And I said, I'm going with you. I felt like it was the only hope I had. Like, this is what I needed. 
when the time came to come forward and, and ask God into your heart, I was like, yes, I ran to the altar. Because I knew that it was, that was it. And, you know, over time, God just removed all that fear of death. I never had that fear. My kids, who I would worry, I could trust the fact that God loved them more than I loved them, which sounds so unfathomable to me. But he loves them. I can trust that God will protect them. He's taken away all that fear of death, but he also took away so many more fears and stress and worries that we have in this life. That peace that he gives, that guards our heart, that we don't have to worry all the time. You know, when the bills can't be paid or when you don't know what you're going to do or maybe you and your spouse are fighting and you don't know if you can make it, he says, I'll give you peace. The stresses and the worries that you have today in your life, he's going to guard your heart with that peace. Philippians 4, 6 through 9 says, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Pray, 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 guys. I tell you all the time, there's really two things that are going to make a huge, huge success in your life as a follower of God. Prayer, talking to God, and reading his word. But he says, instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. And now, dear brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep putting into practice all you learned to receive from me, everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. This is where a lot of us go astray. We become followers of God. We say we love God, but what we do instead is we fill our hearts with darkness. We fill our lives with hatred. We fill our lives with worry, stress, by a lot of the things we watch, a lot of the things we let in. I told you I love youth ministry. One of the things I taught just recently again was this message I taught a long time ago called garbage in, garbage out. Computer only spits out what was put into it. A computer doesn't just have all that knowledge on its own. Someone has to program it. What got put in is what comes out. You people have got to understand us as followers of God. Those that say we love God. You have to understand what you put into your mind is what comes out. It kind of sits in there and stirs around sometimes. You know, we fill our heads with watching things on murder, violence, rape, all these different things. And then we, we fill our hearts and our minds with all this negativity. God's word says, no, no. Think upon things that are pure and lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, admirable. Those are the things we're supposed to think about. See, maybe we change what we allowed in. We wouldn't have that worry and that stress, that fear of everything that's going to take place. You know, when you walk outside after you just watched a, a murder show and you're like looking around your, you know, your shoulders to think, is someone coming after me? That fear that's there, fear is from the enemy. The Bible says fear is, is, is of Satan. It's violence. It's, it's, it's abhorrent to God. The Bible says violence is abhorrent to God. He hates it. But why, as Christians, then, do we allow ourselves to be entertained by it? I hope that's convicting. I can tell you it was for me as a first time, like when I started to get my faith in order. 
I can tell you that my kids were probably the strongest in making me stop watching certain things. My husband didn't get saved for seven years after I did. My kids and I would go. Him and I would be going through the channels, and they'd say, turn it, turn it, turn the channel, don't watch this. From the mouths of babes, I learned what I should be watching and what I shouldn't. Because God was so pure and real in their lives. They knew that they didn't want that there. I'd already lived this life of, this is normal. This is what we do. We entertain ourselves with these things. And as time, I started cutting that stuff out, and I can tell you it makes a huge difference. And I pray that it makes a difference in your life, that you start to think about what's pure and lovely and admirable. Think upon these things. Garbage in, garbage out. But that peace, peace can be yours. You're kind of the one that controls whether or not you have it. He is peace. You know, a lot of times you're going to put money in the stock market or you're going to have money in the bank and you're going to have these bills that are coming due and you're going to say, what do I do, what do I do, what do I do? God says, trust in me. You follow after me, I'll provide. I'll sustain you. I'll help you. I'll give you peace. We can hear what's going on in the world. We can be fearful of whether or not there's going to be a war that's going to take place. What's going to happen? God says, just trust in me. Have peace. He's in control. He'll work it out. We worry whether or not the government's going to hurt us or help us. Trust in God. He's the only one that's never changing. Our government will change no matter back and forth over and over again. And they'll always want more from it than what you want to give back to them. (laughs) Trust in God. He will give you back more than what you give him. We need to not worry because God is in control. He's our peace. What happened this last week? I mean, you guys have seen it on the news. Happened in the past. These celebrities, these, these people that look on the outside that have everything. They have money. They have prestige. They have people that are glorifying them everywhere they go. You have Anthony Bourdain. You have the, you know, Kate Spade. Both. Suicide. Robin Williams, suicide. You guys, peace comes from God. You can live this life where everybody just walks around praising you and thinking you're great, and you can have no peace. Peace comes from God. Hope, hope comes from God. The idea that we don't have to battle these things ourselves. God is going to be there for us. As Jehovah Jireh, our provider, Jehovah Nisi, our banner, Jehovah Rapha, He is the great I am. He's our healer. He's our provider. He's our peace. Whether or not it's Yahweh, why, you know, the, the four consonants, Yeshua, Jehovah, the great I am, all our God. He's our everything, if you trust in him. And he deserves way more praise than what we give him, way more when we come up here and we're singing at the beginning, when we sing worship songs, you guys understand, a lot of you, as I see, you do what I did at the beginning. You hesitate because it's uncomfortable. It's easier just to stay back because you don't really understand the singing thing yet. I didn't either. But I will tell you, my faith grew when I understood that it's really important for us to praise God. 
to thank him for the things he does, to sing and praise him for the things that he accomplishes. Don't be embarrassed of singing praises to God. The Bible says if you're embarrassed of him, he'll be embarrassed of you. See, God is a good God, loving God, but he expects our heart to be open to him, and he wants to do so much more for you than you allow him. You you hesitate. You don't want people to see you raise your hand. You don't want people to see you sing. I can tell you, I can't sing for the life of me, guys. I'm a horrible, horrible singer. My dogs actually look at me and, like, basically beg me to shut up when I'm singing. You can just see in their faces, they don't like it. But you know what? Jesus loves it. And I look at my dogs and say, you don't like it, but my God does. Sing loud. Praise God. If you sing in your off key, who cares? It's still beautiful music to God. But, you know, we don't have a distant God. If he's distant, it's only because of you. There's an old story. It was an older couple, and they talked about their past. And they said, do you remember when we were dating? You know, the, the wife is like, do you remember, when, honey, when we were dating, we would always sit right next to each other in the, in the truck? You'd always be there right up, right up against you and holding each other's hands. And, you know, she says, what happened? And he says, the husband says, I never moved. You did. He's still in the driver's seat. The problem is we move in our relationship with God. You need to be mindful of how much you move away from God. If you don't feel God like you used to, it's because you moved, not because he moved. He's just as good as he always was. He's there still trying to grasp your hand to put his arm around you, to give you a kiss. The Bible says that we're the bridegroom of Christ, that we are there. He welcomes us. He wants us so close to him. He did everything he could at the beginning to fix it for Adam and Eve. Through sin, they went away. But ever since then, he's constantly saying, come back to me, come back to me. I want you to be so close that you feel me, see me, know me in a way like never before. Well, if you don't know him, then I pray that you meet him. And it might be harsh to hear somebody say that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ that you're going to go to hell, but it's the truth. It's just truer words were never spoken. It got my attention. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I want you to think about that. And maybe it won't be here today. Maybe it's going to be something that's going to rattle around in your brain like it did to me as I put my kids to sleep and thought where they were going to go and where I would be. It's so easy to do. I mean, we, we don't do altar calls where people come forward, but if you need God and you want one of us to pray for you to receive him, we're here. But it's so not hard. God made it so easy. All he says is all you have to do is say, God, I love you. I, I ask for your forgiveness. Will you come into my heart? Will you become Lord of my life? I'm going to put you first. And he says if you say those words sincerely that you have salvation, today if you were to pass, you would be with him in eternity. God is so good. If you've never met him, I challenge you, take a step, take a leap of faith, come to him. 
And if you've met him, start thinking about what your life looks like. Is he your provider? Are you trying to always jump ahead? Is he your banner? Is he your healer? Is he your peace? I'm going to be down here afterwards, and we're going to be here for prayer. Other people can come forward, and the people that I can pray for you. If you're going through some, if you need some, some prayer to have God show you that he's here for you, that he's going to provide. If he's, you need healing in your body. If you really feel like you are so stressed out, you need God's peace. Come forward and ask for prayer. Well, let me pray for you. Lord, we are so thankful for the things you did. You've done in the past through through God the Father, and Lord, what you've done through Jesus the Son, and what you're doing now through the Holy Spirit. We're so thankful that we have a good God, the great I am, the mighty counselor that we can count on and trust, those that we can tell all of our problems to, and that he ministers back to us. I just am thankful, Father, for all the good things that you've done for each one of us that call upon your name. I pray for each person here, if they don't know you, Lord, that you just put some homesickness in their heart like never before. Not so there's numbers. We don't have to worry about feeling this auditorium at all. It's just whether or not we feel your kingdom. I just pray, Jesus, that you would work on these people, Lord. Help them to to rely on you more like never before. And, Lord, we just pray for all the things you're going to do for us in our lives. We thank you for everything that you're going to do. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen.